clubhouse. You gave me your word, Donnie, and you broke it. This over a fucking couch, son. A fucking couch, not over a fucking couch. Or were you not given a backup? Denied the request. Jesus Christ. A show of force would have maybe changed this whole fucking thing. So you want to blame somebody? Then you blame yourself, you son of a bitch. And I'm Sheila. And welcome to Pod Clubhouse coverage of Yellowstone Season 2. Today we're talking about Episode 4, Only Devils Left, which is a very ominous title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I thought Season 1 was dastardly, but this season is shaping up to be so deliciously malevolent. I watched it twice and was like, dang, like this is a lot. It's a lot of cows. A lot of cows. There's a lot of cows in this episode. <laughs> Dead ones. And pour one out out for the cows. (laughs) (laughs) But man, this is uh, a lot to cover. So, but we're not going to start there. (laughs) No, we're not going to start with dead cows. Why would we start at the most logical point? (laughs) (laughs) So, I guess, like, would it make sense to start then with like where Dan and Rainwater stand? Because other things later on revolve around their conversation and this press conference that happens. Yeah. I just can't get over this Jenkins guy. Like, he is just screwed. Left, right, and center. I mean, this poor guy, (laughs) like, comes to Montana to try to just make some money, and everybody is just screwing him over and hanging hanging him from trees and, (laughs) like, threatening him. (laughs) You know, uh, having a threesome with his wife. Yeah. Um, It's just messed up. And then his wife is, like, fashioning her hair after Beth. He's just got problems. So I think his major flaw, I guess, if you will, is that he came out from California to Montana thinking he was going to be the smart one in the Yes, exactly. And he was going to make a quick buck and he was going to unleverage himself from all of the the financial woes that he was under. Yeah. And I think the fact that he thought that he was always going to be the smartest one in the room has really pulled the rug out from under him. And he's realizing now that he is... Uh, I can't even say in over his head. He's at the bottom of the lake. Yeah, I mean, he's drowning. This is bad. This whole episode with his little advisor slash lawyer, they never did say whether he was a lawyer, but just basically telling him, like, dude, you're screwed. They're going to screw you over. Like, it's just like, at this point, it's signed. Like, what can he do? I like the fact that he's trying to ask about the Beck brothers. Meanwhile, like, he's got 160 million reasons of of other problems. Uh, so this is looking pretty bad for Dan Jenkins, I think. So Tom Rainwater holds this press conference, right? And mm-hmm. it sounds like this is the announcement that he's annexing the land as well as announcing the development. 
I think so. It wasn't sort of explicitly stated in that press conference, but that's essentially what happened. So yeah, it is him announcing. Can he just announce that the land is annexed? Like how do, it just sure sounds like he did. But... i needs to be filed somewhere. Right? I'm not sure. Not sure really up on my annexation of land. Um, right? Again, we have, study a lawyer, that. we have a lawyer in Pod Clubhouse and damn it, he's never here when we need him. I know. Dang it, Mike. We need to call in like some guests here. Be like, um, we have an inculpatory. The word inculpatory came in later on. I'm like, what yeah. in the freaking hell is inculpatory? Oh, gosh. That means incrimination. But, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And rainwater is so smug. It goes over like such like butter over a hot roll. Like he's yeah. just like going over Dan. Like, you don't have to worry about this. Like, you know, once we annex the land. You won't have to worry about state control, you know, um, the Beck brothers and their state control of the liquor board. Um, we will handle that for you. And it's just, he has like this buttery response to everything. And meanwhile, Dan's still like, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah. I mean, he like, what can he do? He's just sort of like, has to sort of watch this unfold. And like he said, like, hope he doesn't get screwed over, but damn, like he's getting screwed over. <laughs> yeah. He's having the conversation with uh, Doug. I, I'm, I don't know if it's his, his lawyer. name is Doug, but they Doug, never that's said all I got out of him. But he, he appeared in season one. He was part of mm-hmm. like the melody conversations with the uh, the strategist yes but like what his actual role is i'm not sure but they're going back and forth and dan says at one point he goes what am i gonna do what am i gonna make him pinky promise that he won't fuck me over right i mean <laughs> like there's really nothing that me laugh out loud. he can do and, and but dan is i don't know if it's naively optimistic but he's okay. hoping that rainwater will keep his word and not have him lose everything i wrote down naive like i mean but at the same time like what can he do he can't do anything about it. But, I mean, this is just bad news for him on all fronts. Yeah. And, I mean, Rainwater being so smug. And, like he said, sort of making him dig his own grave by making him be the first one to <laughs> shovel the dirt. I was like, damn. And, and Rainwater has just this very... Smug is the good word to describe it. But it's a very smooth look on his face the whole time. Like, he's not going to get rattled. Dan is rattled. Yes. You know, because he's rattled. He's asking who the Beck brothers are before the press conference. And... <laughs> And Tom says to me, he's like, I'm surprised you didn't know that you needed a security detail. And he kind of right? like looks at Dan's neck. <laughs> like, I'm surprised you wouldn't have done that already. I'm surprised you didn't figure that out already. So, Which yeah, is so true. Dan was, like, all of these things is just showing me that Dan didn't know what he was signing up for. Oh, when of course. all of this happened. And now he's so far into the weeds that there's no way he can come. He's in quicksand right now. There's yeah, nothing he, he can do. He basically has to like go for the ride and hope that he doesn't die at this exactly. point. One way or another, he's he's screwed. Either he's going to be screwed because of the Beck brothers or he's going to be screwed by Rainwater. Right. For Dan. <laughs> Do you really feel bad for him, though? No, I said it's bad for Dan. Oh, I thought you said poor Dan. Mm, <laughs> like, like no. you really feel bad? I, it's something about him, too, is, is unlikable. It's like that, like what you said, that he just came here expecting to be, like, better than everybody else. He keeps, you know, diminishing everybody as a redneck and, you know, just... Damn cowboys. Yeah, very dismissive and thinking that he knows better than they do. Meanwhile, you know, he knew who the Beck brothers were in one capacity from the last episode, knowing that they they had owned the gas and uh, casino company, but he didn't know that Malcolm Beck was head of the liquor board. So, good for you for doing your homework, but you should have done the extra credit. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Right? But that was kind of like a big bombshell for what we were leading up to. And then the Beck brothers are watching the press conference of this and they're 
they're not happy with Dan. So that's yeah, that's worrisome that these sinister looking dudes with all of their stuffed animals yeah. are looking on. They're stuffed animals. <laughs> <laughs> kind of makes it sound like our son's in their tents. <laughs> right? <laughs> not quite. Not quite the same. These yeah. ones actually had fangs at one point. <laughs> Claws. I know. I'm, with my husband being a hunter, I'm always sort of secretly praying that he doesn't ever shoot a really large buck because then he's going to want to stuff it and put it in my house. I was going to say, that probably doesn't go with your aesthetic. It really doesn't. <laughs> that is like 0% chance of going in my house. Like, do you have a basement or something you can shove it in? Uh, I don't. Oh. oh, yeah, we yeah. talked about this before. This is so yeah. secretly, I'm always like, oh, you didn't. I'm sorry, babe. But like, <laughs> Deep down, I'm like, that's okay. I don't mind. It's fine. And you're not going to mount something that's small, right? No. I mean, yeah, there's no point in that. Y'all don't tell him I said that. (laughs) If that would look out of place in your house, it would look miles and miles wrong in my house. (laughs) Yeah. First of all, we have no, like, wall space, so. I mean, there's plenty of houses in our friend group that have mounted heads. It's totally normal thing to do here, but. Mm -hmm. Just not for you. Not my aesthetic. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, side note. Okay. (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit about this Jamie and the new attorney general situation. Because I'm still bothered that Jamie is somehow just sort of welcomed back into the house with no explanation. And suddenly he's in the meeting with John and Beth and the governor and like, like, is he just back on the team? Looks that way. Okay. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't at all that he's here in any capacity yeah like what capacity is he there for the duttons is he there because he was running for the same office and nobody even mentioned that they were like yeah. you know she's, she's the, governor the governor's like says, no other qualified candidates have put forth the application i was like damn and he's just sitting there with his head, his hand like Fuck. i know jeez this so poor guy. <laughs> I'm I'm confused as to the timeline. So they're still going to hold the election to elect her, but she's stepping in ahead of the election as an appointment. Yep. Basically, okay. I mean, or now she's just appointed. There's a ceremony or whatever, a swearing in. So, so there is no election. Okay, so they're doing away with the election because there's no other qualified there's, candidates. Jamie. Well, I mean, um, there's always an election, right? Like per the state, so it's just not on the ballot. It's, right. There's it a just happened. Post. It just happened. So, but <laughs> this poor Jamie, like, I guess now he's back to being the legal advisor and he has to be in this meeting for what? I don't know. I think it was, honestly, if I have to, like, guess as to why he's there, it was to put, like, another nail in his pride coffin. Like, John made him come. That just John made like, him come. Or Beth suggested that he come so that he has to watch. <laughs> it probably was Beth's idea. His dreams evaporate in front of him. See? Savage. Savage. I'm telling you. savages in this town. I'm telling you. Um, I did laugh, though, when Cassidy introduced herself to the governor and, and she says, you know, she's going to defend Montana to the letter of the law. And the governor's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, that was hilarious. Like, less than impressed. Like, do we have to do it? Like, you're not the one I wanted, so why do we have to do this? Yeah. She's like, okay. Hilarious. But I did see that Beth and Jamie did share a look on the couch, like when she yep. said that too. It was just like, well, at least they can agree on something. <laughs> this poor girl. She has no idea. I know. What she's been for with these it's people. Hilarious. 
So they're just like getting her started, like meeting with the current attorney general to go over what's happening. And then later on meeting with John and Beth to talk about what they need from her. And she's just like, okay, yes, sir. We'll do it. That's what they wanted, I guess. Someone to just do their bidding. Their bidding. Right. Yeah. So in in addition to Kathy just being in overhead and not knowing, she actually comes out to the ranch later on. Mm-hmm. And they're having this back and forth conversation. So she has no idea what transpired other than what she's seen on the news about cattle battle prior in season one. Right. And she's asking questions about like the jurisdiction violation that involved the Livestock Association and you know, John's sort of the, the heat that he's been getting for that. And Beth is just laying into Jamie using her, using Cassidy. Mm-hmm. So Cassie's trying to ask some questions. So she's not so much interested in, in like the annexation of the land issue that John thinks that he brought her in for. She's starting to ask questions about other things, I guess, that the prior attorney general has briefed her on because there's supposed to be some sort of state Senate hearing coming up. And okay. Beth is just so nasty to Jamie. She's terrible. In front of her, in front of Cassidy. But Cassie's just trying her best. And, and Beth is talking about like Jamie also being privy to the knowledge that a crime was about to be committed. And using that as a way to disbar him. So Jamie knew about the plan for the cattle battle, Mm -hmm. that they were going to run over reservation lines to get the cattle back, which is, I guess, an infraction in the federal sense, which is why a state Senate hearing, I guess, is being called. And Jamie's just sitting there. And John John is just sitting there, too. And he's, like, just letting Beth kind of go off on her her little tangent. And Cassidy's just trying her best. (laughs) Like her little pageant smile. Yeah. Rodeo queen, whatever she is. But Jamie asks Beth after Cassidy follows John away. Beth is trying to get him disbarred. This relates back to our our initial conversation saying, like, Jamie's just back now. So Beth is using Jamie's weaknesses as a way to further push him out or to push him out again. Yeah. Because he's back and she's not happy with it. And like, like you said, Nobody's talking about that he was just gone. Yeah. So that, that, that's my best summary of her bad behavior. Well, and it's like, like Jamie said, he's like just sort of defending himself or arguing with her. And he's like, what, you told me to come back. And she's like, and you listen to me? Like, <laughs> she is just so nasty to him. Savage. Exactly. Thank you. See so, our word. Yes. So in, in all of this back and forth between Beth and Jamie... Jamie also finds out that he's out of the trust. Yes. So he's researching other things and he's, he's perusing through the family documents. And so there's been a family, a new family trust that's been drawn up, listing the ranch itself as an investor. Um, mm-hmm. So he finds the documents that support Beth's operation, build a moat. Right. But sidebar, uh, he gets a, a call from Sarah. Do you remember Sarah? Yes. The reporter. <laughs> the reporter. Okay. About her in five episodes, right? Right. Because the last one was the last one of season one. And Beth walks in as he's listening to the voicemail. <laughs> oh, I just laughed so hard because it's like, um, you scared me. It's like, no shit. She scares everyone. <laughs> yeah, she's, I freak out every time she walked in the room too. But he also has a very large reason to brush that voicemail to the side so that she can't really ask him any more questions about who needs facts about what. Right. And he's trying to figure out like why he's a out of the picture shouldn't be too much of a surprise for him or too much of a leap. But right. also, what is she actually doing? I think this is one of the most important conversations of this episode. Yeah, this is huge. He screams that 
the ranch hasn't turned a profit in six years. Yeah. And Beth, you know, counters that she's using this money as a way to invest in order to keep the ranch solvent. So the fact that he has this statement, this bomb that he drops, saying that the the ranch hasn't turned a profit in six years, but he's been at the financial helm for the last six years at least. Yeah. Doesn't this kind of validate Beth's point about the lack of investment and needing to do this? Yeah, that he should have like been more, planning ahead yeah, more earlier. Aggressive. Yeah. And speaking but, of, like, I haven't also noticed that the helicopter has not been around. <laughs> right? Where'd the helicopter go? That is no longer in the budget. <laughs> Only in the first episode when John had to be like airlifted to the hospital. I haven't seen that helicopter since. And it, it featured heavily into like every episode in season one. So yeah, I know. But hmm, you're right. Yeah. So it was just one of like these really big moments. I was just like, oh, wait a second. I don't like to admit that Beth has a point because she is so. I'm getting annoyed with Beth in certain ways because she's not like they're not showing her in any other dimensions. Like we did get some of like her developmental problems back in season one, but she's not growing as a character for me. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I feel like like I feel like I might be just like mean on Beth, but there's nothing with her and Rip. You know, the, where we were getting to see like a little bit of a human side of her. Like, it's just this one sided nastiness. And, and while it's fun in terms of like character development and growth, it's just they kind of have her spinning her wheels. She's just always going to be the mean girl. Right. Which yeah. is which is her role. I mean, it's it's her her position. But at the same time, we're getting to see other sides of John. We're getting to see other sides of Casey. We're even getting to see other sides of Rip. So were you shocked to see that uh, Casey didn't know anything about it? Yes or and that. No. I- no, I'm not surprised that he didn't know about it. I'm surprised that it was signed by well, him. Several episodes back, when John was saying that he needed Casey to start like helping with the Livestock Association, he had Casey sign a bunch of papers. Oh, okay. So, so maybe he did sign it. He, just he really didn't, didn't tell him what it was because it was like the same time that he told Beth to you know, draw up some documents. So he just had Casey sign, sign, sign. And Casey didn't yeah. see what he was signing. So, That's true. Um, so I feel like Casey's answer was honest. That he didn't sign anything. He wasn't aware that he was signing anything. He didn't anything. know. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's just more of John's dysfunction and, you know, not communicating with his children, which is definitely a theme that we keep coming back to. Gosh. A lot. This family. Like, everyone knows something, but not everybody knows everything. Right. And it depends on how important you are to the circle. But I, I, I <laughs> Casey was like, trust, trust what? <laughs> Yeah. Trust who? Trust who? <laughs> who are you talking about? <laughs> he was like, no, what? No, no, no. Yeah. Let me help you out here. Jamie ignoring Sarah's phone call. Is that just timing or it's like, so the article hasn't been published then if she's trying to verify facts or whatever. Right. This is taking her quite a long time to write this article. Right. I, I feel like he wasn't in a mental position to answer her phone call because now he literally just found the document that had his name off of it for the family trust. Yeah. So I feel like it was just like, I can't handle this bomb at this time. Like, I have this one that just detonated. <laughs> That's so, true. Um, but I just, the timing of Beth walking in as he's trying to listen to the voicemail is just so funny. <laughs> oh, Jamie. When he's definitely having buyer's remorse, I feel like he's just like, why did I do that? Mm. With the with Sarah, with the report, and um, with the article, rather. Yeah. But bringing it back now is closing the loop on that open storyline from season one. So something is going to happen with it if it gets published in the next episode. Like something's going to happen because either way, she's going to figure out a way to get this to be published because she's definitely got 
uh, is vendetta the right word? Um, she's definitely got some sort Motive. of a, against John. Yeah. Oh, know? that's true. Yeah. yeah she's got, she wants to. Well, she just it. wants to like. Well, I mean, isn't it like a goal of a reporter to like bust some crazy story wide open? Like, yeah, it gives I mean, you a name, right? Exactly. So she's got some motivation just to like. She may not have had no other prior connection to the story, but she's figuring out that this is pretty big deal. So she wants to be the one to publish it. So. Yeah. She's got some motivation. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. So, so we'll I, see what happens. Yeah, I mean, Jamie's just, just pulled the dirt in on top of him at this point. <laughs> just sit in the grave right? and just start pulling the dirt in on top. <laughs> of just him. drive himself to he, the train station. Just, yes, exactly. He should just drive himself to the zone of death. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, look, guys, I'm just gonna take yeah. a walk. Yeah. So the other thing with the ranch will lead into the next big thing that happened this episode. So he's upset because there's all these dead cows now that they have, which is now an, another unforeseen wrinkle in the cash flow of the ranch. That's a lot of dead cows. That's a lot of dead cows. It's bad. This is Cattle Battle 2.0. Right? This is a big deal. Well, so first they had to get the cattle back. Now they're all dead. I'm glad that we save this for the middle of this episode because, like, this is like juicy and not to be like gross with a steak or anything like that. (laughs) Sorry, cows. (laughs) I felt bad for the cows. I really did. Like, they're thinking they're getting some manna from heaven, you know? Manna from heaven. Oh my God. As these hay bales. I'm like, as it was being dropped, I mean, like, I am a city girl. I am a city girl. I, I live in the suburbs. So cows and me are, we're, it's definitely like a planned activity for me to be near cows, but but I know enough about cows and hay that hay is not green, at least not when it's fed to cows. I myself have baled hay. Oh, yeah. You're more Texan than me, I guess. Uh, my, my mom comes from a farm in Ireland and we're still very close to that family. It's my, my aunt lives there. Um, we used to go there for summers when we were kids when we're like, Oh my God, I can't even tell you my summers we were there. So in the summertime, that's when they bale the hay and, you know, we would play in the hay. We'd have to, you know, we'd, we'd make the bales and then we would play hide and seek with the bales. It's mm-hmm. hilarious. But um, I knew that the color of the hay was wrong Yeah, as it was being dropped out of the plane. I never wrote just in my notes. I'm like, this can't be good. This can't be good. But those cows were sure digging it. Yeah. It's surprising, like, throughout the episode, we learn how much of the clover they dropped out and what a wide distance they did. Yeah. It wasn't just like one little field because Lloyd and Rip came back later and said it was like all through the valley. So that's a lot. And they said 360 more, more. on top of whatever the first number was. So we don't actually get a full sum yeah. of how many dead cows. So the clover... I mean, that sounds like the majority of their entire yeah, herd. I don't know how many if, they have. If they had it spread out all along the valley or whatever that means. That's a lot of livestock. How could that not be a crime? Like, how could Donnie or whatever be like, well, I mean, he yeah, was sort like, of like, well, I mean, it didn't fall out of the sky. Like, yes, it did. Yeah. Like, so, what do you think happened? Yeah. So he, yeah, he's playing it off that there's no tire tracks and they're miles away from the gate. And, and he's like, it didn't fall out of the sky. And just like, well, Donnie, you got your blinders on here. Like it's Montana. It's big sky country. For God's sake, look up. <laughs> For God's sake, God's sake, look up, man. Okay, so this is like implied that it's Dan Jenkins. Right, I John think, keeps right? saying that he knows who did it. Well, he because he said Donnie's golfing, golfing buddy. buddy. So yeah. I think that means Dan yeah. Jenkins. You're right, because Donnie got a membership to the sporting club. 
you yes, know that exactly. So, but is Donnie saying that? Like, well, I didn't follow this guy because he is somewhat aligned with Dan Jenkins, or is he really just that not paying attention? Well, I think this is going back to the problem that John had in season one, where it initially felt like a bit of paranoia when he said like he was feeling a shift in power away from him between the governor, uh, the livestock dinner where nobody showed up and nobody was talking to him. Mm-hmm. So I think this is more of that. And it's not paranoia. We now know that there is a shift happening. It's subtle and in certain ways, and it's not so subtle in other ways, like him him being told to step down and him grasping at the, you know, I I, I picked you for the governor. I picked you for the attorney general. He says that to a lot of people, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, if everyone is aligning against you, it's not everybody. It's you. As right. the problem. So I feel like it's more of that. Like it's the shift in power that he's seeing, but he's still too big to be ignored. So something has to be done. Because Dan Jenkins is the, like, Dan Jenkins is in the problem situation he's in because John moved the river. So, like, at some point, Dan had to retaliate, right? And so he retaliated by moving his John Dutton's nemesis in next door. Right. Right. In rainwater. Now rainwater moving into Paradise Valley and now the annexation of this. So now you have Indian reservation land next door to John's ranch. Yeah. And we've already seen that rainwater's made it very clear that his goal is to take back the Yellowstone. Right. So this looks good for Dan and Jenkins, uh, Dan and rainwater rather. But I don't know. He kept saying, I know who did this. I know who did this. But Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, did the Becks somehow decide to veer into John's lane? I mean, it's possible, but like they're trying to align with him. True. But also a possibility is that the Becks did that to make it look like Dan Jenkins did it. So that when they went to John for an alliance, John would be more motivated and willing to work with them. That's what I was thinking, that you have the alliance between Rainwater and Jenkins and now Rainwater has said to John directly that his plan is to buy the valley, to reclaim it. This could be, in one way, Rainwater becoming aggressive because now that he's gotten what he wants as a first necessary step, maybe he's emboldening himself. But I feel like it's too soon for him to have acted this decisively anyway. But yeah, like it seems plausible that if you want someone to align with you, that you put them in a position where they have no other choice but to align with you. Right. Which is why the Becks feel good for this. But I mean, it could it could be both either. Right. We just don't know. But John is convinced that it's Jenkins. Yeah, for sure. Maybe it's missing other things. I'm not sure. But Donnie was really stringent in his pushback. Right. He didn't want to deputize anybody. He's like, well, you know, Casey had this guy on a soup diet from the guy that he beat up in the gas station. But John forces his hand by saying that there's a war going on and it's time for Donnie to choose sides. So Donnie really has no choice but to deputize these men that... (laughs) Again, and John's like, well, I appointed you, like, or not appointed, but he's like, do you think you'd be here without me? Yeah, well, I mean, this is, again, like, he's too big to ignore. And meanwhile, Mm -hmm. he might be sort of the last of his kind, and we'll footnote that statement for the end of the episode. He's still holding on to the way things were. Yeah. In terms of the power structure, which is what the article that Sarah is writing that Jamie gave her all this tell all for. So he's really caught in a struggle right now because his old ways of figuring things out and and beating his enemies is not the same as it used to be. 
as much as Dan feels like a fish out of water right now, I feel John is also feeling that too. Yeah. And I feel that he's going to become very dangerous because he doesn't, this is uncharted territory for him. He's used to just like fighting somebody with his fists. He's not used to right. fighting somebody. Or sending rip. Right. Or sending and then rip and, and, they go away, you right, know, and then problem solved. I'm a little worried for John. He's not on his A game. He's had colon cancer. We don't know if that's fully resolved. He had the stomach ulcer. So he's, he's got some health concerns. And meanwhile, he feels like he's going to be around for like another 15 years as a livestock commissioner <laughs> yeah. at 63. So he'll be, what, close to 80 by the time he's planning to retire. I guess. It just doesn't feel like John is standing on even footing right now. He's got all kinds of problems. Yeah. At home and at the Livestock Association. Yeah. And everywhere he goes. And it just, yeah. the governor was frosty with him the last time out. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, he's beset on all sides here. Yeah. Like you said, he's determined that it's Dan Jenkins. And so he sends Casey on this, like, sort of witch hunt to go find the airplane or Airfield, the right. hangar they used yeah. or whatever. And, and he needs find the proof. It. He needs the proof. Confirm. It was right. Yeah. So poor Casey, he's like, can't I just stay here, man? Like, just bail some hay. And he's like, nope, you got to go. This leads Casey into a whole nother mess. Yeah. Why is Casey always around when the mess happens? I don't know. But this one felt really preventable. Agent Steve Hendon. So we met Agent Steve last episode, right? With uh, Casey's clearances, uh, his no priors and no outstanding. So they had this whole situation. So he's, they get called in for this cow. Was it depredation? Depredation. I don't know what that is. It sounded like if you have loss on your farm for natural causes or whatever, you can get reimbursed from the state or the. Like fish and wildlife, I guess was. Yeah. You can get like a little bit of money back for your loss or whatever. So they have to file these claims every time so that they can get reimbursed. Right. So So the person that they're calling for, I just felt so bad for this man. He was just so devastated. Mr. Paulson, right? It's his name. Oh yeah. Yeah. With his one sad cow, man. You know, he's, what he said was like $1,800. So now if I'm doing $1,800 times 360, because I don't know exactly how many cattle were lost in the the cattle battle 2.0 360 cows at $1,800 a cow if that's what the cattle price is is $640,000 yeah that's a lot of money that the Duttons just lost yeah it's gonna be well over a million dollars of loss on the Dutton side so but for this poor man Mr. Paulson $1,800 is more than he can factor right now right but he takes this dig at his neighbor claiming that he he called he cries wolf all the time i was just laughing i know it wasn't the appropriate time to laugh i'm like the boy who cried wolf like how many times but this is literally like a wolf situation yeah and then they they head on over to jerry hayes place who's the neighbor who cried wolf he seems he was twitchy awful from the beginning and casey you know finds irrevocable proof that this man did this to his own cow like Seriously, you're just going to leave the bloody weed eater in the barn? Like, wouldn't the other livestock agent look in the barn? Like, come on. But anyways, I digress. I don't know how with it Jerry is because he seems really twitchy. And I don't know if he thinks things all the way through. It didn't seem like it, no. Didn't really get enough of Jerry to do the character assassination that I did on the Bexel last time. Yeah, he's not. But when his son shows up with the shotgun and Casey did a fantastic job i feel in trying to de-escalate that situation 
Right. Like, dude, he's going to have to go before a judge and he's going to get, you know, like, so he's going to get tr- picking up trash on the weekends and pay a fine. No big. Like, not a big deal. Definitely not worth killing anyone over. And then freaking Agent Steve. Like, why? What? Why did he do that? <sighs> he sucks. <laughs> Well, for, so he takes down Jerry, right? So I, I have just questions about his judgment. So he takes down Jerry and he's screaming. He's resisting arrest, which made me laugh the way that he was screaming. He, he was resisting, resisting arrest. And then now that the shooting, just like, what is wrong with you, Steve? Like, you seem so normal. He's like, I had no choice. I had no choice. And, yeah. He just. Okay. Like, he takes his gun out and he just starts screaming, drop it, drop it, drop it. So now you've escalated the situation where this kid has no choice but to try to shoot. And Casey was making. So, like. The, the kid, I can't, I can't stand saying his name because my son has the same name. So I'm like, I can't talk about anyone like in that capacity getting shot. But the kid was lowering the rifle because Casey was like, this is no big deal. Like in six months time, he's going to have to do this, this and this. And I'm like, yeah. it. And then that's how Steve was able to get his gun so quickly because it was just the kid was dropping his weapon. And so is Casey doing the right thing by telling John that the shooting was justified? It didn't feel justified. And it's literally Casey's word with Steve against this now distraught father who's yeah not able to figure things out. It didn't feel justified for Steve Hinden to pull his gun at that moment. Like that, like you said, escalated the situation. Because Casey's conflicted about it. He says, you know, it's justified. Yes. Right. No. Exactly. And, and then Donnie shows up. <laughs> oh, I feel like only in Montana would the sheriff get punched and like the guy who punched him not get arrested yeah i don't think you can punch people in uniform i don't think that goes well i feel like that's like automatic jail time yeah just saying (laughs) but you know john calls donnie out and he's right you know backup was called for multiple times and it was denied and i thought it was smart that this was the detail that was given to the press because the reporter reports that there was calls for backup that were denied yeah so I feel like this is smart of John to get out in front of the press to direct that narrative. Oh, yeah. Which is different than Cattle Battle number one. So John's learning. <laughs> yeah. Because right, that was like the, the the heat and the fire that came from the governor's office was that this didn't look right. It, you know, the narrative was being controlled by the, the reservation, not exactly. so much his side. So smart on him. So I guess Agent Hinden is just like nothing's going to happen to him because it said one arrest so that means that the steve hayes or i'm sorry not steve but hayes guy got mm-hmm. arrested yeah. okay yeah he so got not, arrested because yeah. he's the one who killed his cow and his neighbor's cow right and his son is dead did he kill the neighbor's cow or did the i don't know if it matters but i thought a wolf actually did kill the other cow i think not that it matters i think <laughs> the i think he ended up killing both cows to make his cow oh look. seem plausible yeah gotcha. because the neighbor was like you know he's kind of shady he seeks compensation saying that wolves did it and now like it looks like a wolf actually did it but i think he, i think he did both oh okay not that it matters just side note. side note um i mean i guess it looks like casey and agent hinden are in the clear with this but definitely not justified situation yeah, not good though. no not at all but the Becks, here they come back in again. They're watching the news coverage and like, hey, we can help John Dutton. And they ride yeah. out to the ranch. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, first of all, like, I thought it was funny that, was it Teal or Malcolm? There's like, peering in the window of the front door. Like, what? Like, <laughs> And Jamie's inside, like, the whole time. So like, Did they not did they ring not the doorbell? Knock? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they didn't get a chance to. I don't know, but it is kind of leery to be, like, looking in someone's window before you knock on the door. Yeah. It's kind of predatory, just saying. 
So Rip was already like coming at him. Like, what are you doing? And he he like dresses down the detail, the security detail, real fast. Yeah, gets their guns that, and everything. I don't know. That but happened. I thought it was that cute escalated John, like, quickly as well. And John like arrived in to like save Rip. I know. <laughs> he rides up, saves it, rides up to save the day. Although I did laugh when you know Jamie starts to hear the commotion and he runs out and like obviously the situation's just been neutralized because John showed up and everyone yeah. like, calm down. He's like, calm down, calm, everyone, calm down. I'm like, uh. <laughs> Timey's a little off there, Jamie. I know. I'm like, Jamie, what are you going to do? You you don't have a gun or anything. (laughs) He's like, whoa, 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 everybody. Oh, my gosh. So they came there to offer John an alliance. What does it say that John walked away from Jamie and said, I want this conversation alone, but Rip, you come with me? (laughs) Right? Like, that felt like a lawyer conversation. That did not feel like a Rip conversation. It's that whole dynamic of John and Rip and that... Like, he is part of the family, but John refuses to treat him like part of the family. It just bugs me. Yeah, it's just like, the, he's just going to pick and choose when Rip is vital to him. Did John just exclude Jamie for just because it, it, the situation annoyed him? Like, it didn't really seem valid for him to exclude Jamie, especially if he's currently acting as the legal advisor again. So, it's like John and Beth do these things to Jamie just to, like, like keep, like, yeah, just keep poking at him that like you don't belong here i don't know it's so weird but maybe this is also where jamie's hilariously ill-timed arrival on the doorstep is also here that he's not reading the room right to know that he's not part of the business dealings john didn't seem to be that interested in a lot in working with them did he disagree like he didn't really say no he didn't really but i found it hilarious that he didn't think enough of them to invite him into his house like (laughs) no we're gonna sit under the tree we're going to go to the tree. But no, I don't think he was that. He, he didn't sound like he was considering anything at all. And he, he offends the Bex by saying that if, if I help you in any way, it's just a coincidence. Yeah. But what did you think about what the Bex said about the plan with the casino next door? That they're going to build a ski resort and there's going to be massive intrusions into the land like the Duttons have. Uh, 100% on point. Yeah. I feel like they're just reminding John that he's now in between a harder rock and a, like a harder rock and a hard place, right? Um, because he's got all the dead cows that he's literally about to be dealing with. And then basically within the same couple of days is when he learned that Paradise Valley next door is going to be a, a huge casino. And I don't know if he's considered all of these things yet. And just hearing it now for the first time out loud maybe made him feel a little defensive. Yeah. Is that the right word for it? Well, it's like you can't let your these guys know that you didn't know <laughs> what was going on around. Right. You have to look like you know all the, yeah. have all the answers. Or that you considered that, yeah, sure, five to ten years time, you know, this is not going to be viable. So why wouldn't John work with the Beck brothers? Like, other than the fact that he just said, I don't, you know, if it benefits you, great, but. It wouldn't be intentional. So why not? I mean, what's he got to lose? I just think he's so used to just doing it by himself. That's not even something that he considers. Yeah. That's what I think. I don't, I don't have a good reason for it. He needs to be like a little bit more strategic about all this. Right. I mean, and Malcolm was pretty clear saying that like our businesses don't have overlap. Like I'm, I have a liquor license board and a casino and gas stations. Yeah. Right. So there's nothing competitive about the two of them. But it, the only thing it brings me back to is, did they set up the cows so that John would, his hand would be forced? The only reason that that's, well, not the only reason, but one reason that that's a good 
theory is because earlier in the episode, the Beck brothers said something about, did we set up that trap or did we set up yeah, the bait that trap? They said. Bait the trap. And they said, yeah, release it. So this is planned by them probably, but there's no evidence yet. Yet. <laughs> but it looks that way. So after they leave, Jamie says that doing business with the Becks is like making a deal with the devil. Yeah. So what does Jamie know about them that he's kept close to the vest at this point? Because, like, why would they look like the devil at this point, you know? Right. But John says something, and this is where the title of the episode comes in. He says, all the angels are gone, son. There's only devils left. And at least yeah. they admit it. I was like, dude, that is the major shade you're throwing at Jamie. <laughs> like, at least they'll admit it. Like, he knows that Jamie's done some things because Jamie's just acting weird. And it could be that Jamie's feeling shame or he's feeling defeat and failure. But Jamie is not acting in a very honorable kind of a way since coming back. So I don't know. This family man. Yeah. I would run for the hills. <laughs> so the only things I've got left are Monica and Jimmy. Monica and Casey, actually. Yes. And then Jimmy. Yes. <laughs> Monica, Monica and Monica. Casey. So her conversation with her students about ocean water, and she's showing how bad conditions are on the reservation, like alcohol, alcohol is outlawed. So they're forced to find alternative methods to dull the pain. And she tells them to investigate the past to understand the present. But the important part about that is that her physical therapist is there and he's observing. Smiling at her from the back of the room. Yeah. And she's talking about this horrible situation. He's just like, hello, lady. (laughs) But I mean, there is some like real chemistry between these two. Is there? Yeah. She's feeling it. It's like she's, I don't know, she fingers her wedding ring and. I don't know. I feel like she's attracted to him, but she's conflicted about it. Yeah. I mean. But I mean, there is the attractive part that he also hasn't had a black guy or punched anyone in the whole time that she's known him. <laughs> so yeah. there's that, you know, that's attractive. Not having <laughs> to punched anybody. Yeah, not having to clean up any, you know, facial wounds. But yeah, she, she calls Casey in the saddest booty call, call ever. <laughs> was it really a booty call or was it just kind of like a. It's like, I'm lonely. What does that yeah. mean? What she wanted, but she said you can't come over. Well, he says that he loves her and she wishes that was all that was needed. That's what I was like. That's sad. I know. But he he says he's going to come over anyway. He says he's coming over. Did he say that? Oh yeah, he says you want me to come over. She goes, no, it's okay. Yeah. Um, but he shows up anyway. Yes. And she's wearing a towel. Would you ever <laughs> answer the door in a towel? No. No. Never. 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 <laughs> I guess if I knew it was my husband at the door, but and, other than and that, the kids no. Sleep right. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, no. Yeah. But uh, what does this mean? Is he back? Are they back? I wouldn't hold my breath on it yet. Yeah. I think she's going to have some buyer's remorse after, after uh. this happens. But Tate is all excited. I know. That's what's sad about it, really, is yeah. that if this was just a booty call, then poor little Tate thinks his dad's back. Right. Sad. <laughs> like, dang it. So uh, I just don't feel that Monica's come around yet fully. So No, I don't feel like this was, this was not, didn't feel like a reconciliation. It right, just felt this like was a, a need that lonely, yeah. <laughs> lonely moment of, I miss you. Yeah. And then there's Jimmy. It's the pawpaws that make me sad. Yeah. Monica's pawpaw makes me sad. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't mess with pawpaw, man. He didn't do nothing. Well, this pawpaw gets mixed up with and beaten savage, savagely. Again, there's that word again. By the two miscreants that we met in the last episode at the oh. rent supply store. Yeah. 
But we find out how much Jimmy owes. Uh, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. But he's beaten and bloody and shows up and, you know, neither one of them are excited because they don't have a kind of cash laying around. How's Jimmy going to get $8,000 in a week? In a week. And otherwise they're going to come back and do it to him again. Yeah. Now, this man is in his upper 70s, I would say. I'm surprised he was able to survive how savagely they did beat him. He's not going to survive a second one is is really what this is coming down to. Yeah. Um, So I don't know. But yeah, $8,000 is a lot of money. And now his ability to even go to John and ask for that is not even a possibility because there's a million dollars worth of cows dead in a field, right? So how can you like reasonably walk up to him and be like, can I get an advance on like the next six months of my (laughs) my salary? The look on Avery's face too, man. She looked just distraught. It's terrible. Which I felt good about, and I know it's weird to say, but I felt good because it's like, okay, there are people who are displaying appropriate human emotions, right. which is something that we've been lacking from the Duttons. Right. So just the fact that she's showing that level of remorse and, and just feeling bad for Jimmy just makes me feel good that, you know, she is a good person. She does have Jimmy's best interests at heart. What that is, I don't know. Is it romantic involvement? Is it just being a friend? But uh, it just makes me feel good that someone is looking out for Jimmy. Yeah. I definitely don't think that she's got $8,000 stuffed into those briefs. <laughs> no. I know. Usually the bunkhouse, like the cowboys are make us laugh and smile and there wasn't a lot of there that. was no yeah i laughed a couple times just based on beth's snarkiness and rainwater uh, making jenkins dig his own grave <laughs> and jamie's, other than, and jamie's ill time whoa, 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 <laughs> and then uh jenkins asked it it's so like what do i need to do ask him for a pinky promise <laughs> but other than that there's no laughing this no, is terrible no and then <sighs> it, it, it ends with the the fields and the cows just being burnt up I know. So did you catch the song right at the end? Yes, I wrote it down. I did too. (laughs) For our playlist. First of all, yes, our playlist. So we have a Spotify playlist where we're putting songs from the show, both songs that actually have appeared in the show and, and songs that we've curated along the way that we feel that fit the mood and fit the general aesthetic, I guess, if you will. There's that yeah. word again. So it's on Spotify. Well, we'll link it in the comments. Yeah, it is Yellowstone Tunes. Pod Clubhouse brings you songs from Yellowstone. On Spotify, you can search for Yellowstone Tunes, Pod Clubhouse, and it'll come up. But this one was called Last of My Kind by Jason Isbell. I am not familiar with his stuff. Neither am I. The song, though, the song was really, the the lyrics is what caught me. First Mm -hmm. of all, it sounded like Ryan Bingham. Kind of, yeah. The voice. So that's what kind of made me sit up and take notice because we're definitely Walker, Ryan Bingham fans. He has not factored in, speaking of, at all. Oh, yeah. A couple of episodes. So He's been um, MIA. Yeah. I mean, I haven't even seen him. Right. But the lyrics, the last of my kind, that's the name of the song. Yeah. And But the lyrics saying that, like, now the family farm is a parking lot for the mm-hmm. five and dime. I was like, ouch. Right. You know, he just finish this conversation with the backs and they're saying that you know in five to ten years this this will be no more and we said that you know john was feeling like a fish out of water because it's not really uh the enemy that he's used to fighting so it was just a really perfect song choice i thought i agree yeah it definitely was notable yeah at the end of the episode as they're burning the poor cow and he looks really weary yeah as this is all happening and you know he's watching his 
family fortune go up in smoke, literally, quite literally. Yeah. This was a very depressing episode. I know. I'm not feeling very good today. Like, this is like, ugh. But I guess this is where we need to be right now, right? Because now we're we're in the middle act of the the season where things are starting to get a little uh, little dicey, a little upsetting, deepening the story plot line here. But yeah, there was really not a lot of redemption in this episode in terms Mm -hmm. of, you know, comic relief or reprieve from all of the drama, so... Worse, getting worse. Yeah, I feel like it's going to get worse before it gets better. Well, we're here for it, though. We're going to stick around. We're going to stick around because these backs, I don't know, they're slimy. Yeah. And there's just a lot more under the surface, I think. I think so, too. We'll be back real soon. Yeah, so next week we'll be back and see what happens next. Yep. I couldn't say I'm excited, but I'm anxious. <laughs> <laughs> anxious to see what happens next. Exactly. Yes. So, well, thanks for tuning in. This is Steph. And this is Sheila. And if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, it would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you could leave us five stars and a comment, that helps other people find this show. We would very much appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.